Delta Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Steve Wood here with OnSite in El Paso. Once again, another OnSite podcast. Another Dr. Hilton Bill, property. Another Hilton property. Dr. Bill Kanaski is joining me. Bill, how are you? Good. I'm glad you could take some time off your speaking tour. To- I'm, very, I'm, I'm very aggravated and I'm going to let you tell the story. You get here, go to the hotel gym and? And it's under renovation. That's not good. No. I was not informed of this before I booked my room here at the Doubletree. Um, so I guess maybe my, maybe my body needs some rest days. Maybe. You know? it, was, it was the world telling you it was time to take some time off. It is. It is. But we, uh, we love uh, El Paso. We are happy uh, to be here. Not an easy place to get to for me. You a little bit different. Yeah, it's a little bit easy for me. But while we're spending our time here in El Paso, we decided to catch up with a uh, friend of the podcast, Oscar Lara from the Recon Law Group. Oscar, how are you? Thanks for joining the podcast. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. It's good. I mean, I'm glad to finally get a chance. We've been talking about getting you on the podcast, and so I'm glad we were able to, to get you on here. I think today, we're, we you know, we talked, Bill and I had talked about kind of what topics we wanted to talk to, and I think you're a perfect one to bring this up because you have a lot of experience with it. Uh, we're, gonna, we're talking translators, you know, with translating for witnesses who obviously are not native English speakers or who are more comfortable testifying in Spanish. Kind of what have been your experiences as far as that goes of, of dealing with witnesses who don't speak English or not comfortable speaking English and having to kind of the process of that? The... Well, for us, it's it's a bit of a dynamic because El Paso is 80% Hispanic with like a large Mexican contingency with, and a lot of them are fairly native Spanish speakers. Uh, I'm fluent in Spanish, and so I'm able to converse with them. And so I do a lot of my preps when that arrives uh, in Spanish. And I talk to them in Spanish, I get their confidence in Spanish and uh, but we have to go through that in English. And so we, we, we do our mock prep questions. We have to get somebody, we actually have to hire an interpreter so that when we do the mock questions, the mock definition, I'm asking the questions in English. They need to be translated from English to Spanish. And then the witness needs to answer in, in Spanish and tra- needs to be translated in English. And at least in El Paso, that's never really too much of an issue because we do have quite a bit of interpreters. But ultimately, though, we have to make sure that that interpreter that we hire isn't going to be the one doing the isn't going to be the interpreter for the deposition on that day. Yeah, they can't they can't actually be it. Right. You can't have them be the same one. So it's not like that. That translator can come in and help with your prep. Exactly. It, it cannot because we're obviously having an attorney client, you know, relationship here. We're having, we're prepping them. We're telling them, well, we're, we're prepping them. And, you know, it's during that time, we're having our attorney client communications. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, what's going on? You said this. Wait, wait, why are you saying it like that? I mean, maybe you need to phrase it a little bit differently. Uh, and the interpreter hears that I'm like, well, okay. I mean, well, in the prep, I heard this. I'm yeah. like, I mean, she's not subject to attorney-client privilege, and so. So, what's the process of choosing the interpreter, both for prep, but then the actual process of the interpreter for the actual deposition? I had a crazy case in which we did several days of witness prep, brought in our interpreter, everything went great. This witness goes to the dep, new interpreter comes in, right? Neutral party. And the witness couldn't understand the interpreter. They're getting their signals crossed. And I'm thinking, wait, wait, 
you have a Spanish-speaking witness, a Spanish-speaking interpreter. Like, how, like, isn't Spanish Spanish? So educate us on, on how there can be a disconnect. Even if you have an interpreter, it may not be a good fit for the witness, even if they're supposed to be Spanish. Well, and oftentimes it, it, it's, a lot of it is dependent on the court reporter and like who's noticing the deposition. So obviously if we're preparing our witness, it's going to be the the plaintiff's attorney who's hiring the court reporter. And we would just notify the court reporter, that, hey, look, this is who we hired. Um, but if it's like a, you get these national court reporting firms, they're going to hire like a, a national interpreter. And we just need to tell them, hey, this is a somebody who's native in you know, Spanish, but they're of Mexican descent. And you get somebody, and it's happened where I've been in a deposition where they understand formal, formal Spanish that's straight from, well, Institute of Spain. And that, that's how they're trying to interpret it. But they're missing the dialect. And I, they, we've had to say, no, 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 no. That's not what he said at all. Like, I don't know what you're trying to get at. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I think that's what's interesting. You were telling me about you were telling me a story, right? Where you actually had that, where you had to interrupt and say, "Wait a second, <laughs> yeah, that's not what he's saying." You're trying to translate and say his 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 comment that he's making on the record is actually not what you're saying. It is. Oh, exactly, because <laughs> and it, and I think at that point it mattered what they what the witness was saying was because it went to this specific element of damage. How it was interpreted, it made it seem like oh, it wasn't a big deal, whereas the uh, or no, like it made it seem like it was a bigger deal than it actually was. Where like, in, uh, I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not what he said, folks. I'm like, wait, he said. I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly, but whatever that witness said, he, they were trying to me convey something else, and somebody who would have been more fluent in or understood that di dialogue would have understood it. But do you get pushback from opposing counsel at all when you interject like that as far as it goes, as far as a translator? And when you're trying to say that's not what he's trying to say and say, no, maybe that's what he is actually trying to say. It depends. If, this, if, the, if the attorney understands Spanish, then they're going to say, yeah, I, I agree. You know, but if they don't, they, there, there's going to be some pushback because they don't know. They think that I'm trying to pull a fast one or something. And, um and that's really that's always going to be the difficulty and you know that's why it's being recorded so we got to make sure everything is everything corresponds but that's always kind of the difficulty you know, because and especially if you have uh well like i'll use el paso a lot of the west texas region is some of these people are you know mid lower class people like you know hard-working blue-collar workers so they're not going to have like this formal Spanish. They're going to be talking like how they talk normally. They talk casually. And that doesn't always translate to a formal. Response. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's something I do not have an appreciation for because I don't speak Spanish. I certainly don't look Spanish. Um, talk to us about because um, this would have to happen in the courtroom as well. And now you have a jury you know staring at you and it, it, it has to be an, an interesting uh process and i know that uh the famous scene from one of my favorite movies it was on this week there's certain movies that if i'm scrolling through movies and i hit one of them like oh i gotta watch yeah. this it was my cousin Vinny, right right and you know, joe pesci's like you know your honor the two youths and then, <laughs> you know they're in alabama and he's from what queens and he's yeah. like excuse me he's the two youths to what? Mm -hmm. To youths, the to use, right? I mean, and that's 
two English people talk. <laughs> and is it kind of like that? The same thing. It's a, it's a different depending on where where you're from and where you're raised. The language on paper may be the same, but maybe in verbal communication, we can be extraordinarily different. Oh, it it really is, and a lot of it, especially if you, I mean, in the courtroom, it might be a little bit easier because depending on where the case is pending you're probably going to get an interpreter that's from that region who's like locally there but if it's like in a deposition for some time and especially like in these zoom depositions that we're doing they'll just get an interpreter and that interpreter may be like you know idaho like we don't know they're they don't know anything and um they may understand like either formal spanish or you know they're yeah. probably like puerto rican or cuban or Dominican and their dialects um, like some of the slang that everybody has is just different yeah. and like uh, something that may be nonchalant for a Mexican native speaker may be horribly offensive for a Cuban native speaker and Spanish speaker and that's a very good point yeah uh, and the, it's just and it's exactly the same word and exactly the same crazy um, and we always have to like I mean I always make it a point on like oh, you speak Spanish, and like, oh, how did you learn? Like, before the deposition, just try to get a little sense. Just like, by the way, this is, a, at least in my case, it's going to be a, you know, somebody of Mexican descent, so why I? Yeah, you, I was, uh, I mean, do you find, and I think, Bill, we've seen it too with, uh, with other people who don't necessarily need an interpreter, but English isn't their fine formal language. Yeah. And so, they choose, and I've spent that situation before where the the witness can speak English, right? But is scared that they're going to screw something up, so they they want the interpreter. Yet, if it, the jury knows they, it's like, are you trying to hide something? It's a, it's kind of an awkward um, circumstance. So, if you're in the position where your witness says, "Yes, I can speak English, but I'm just more comfortable with Spanish," but you know it's going to be better for your case if they speak English, even if it's broken. How do, what discussion like how do you discuss that with your because I'm sure it's more fear based that the the witness is just more comfortable yet from the jury perspective it's it's going to be much more helpful to a jury I think to hear English uh, and really a lot of it is depending on where the case is pending like yeah it's uh, a good point because I'll use El Paso as an example in El Paso that's you know that you you encounter that at least pretty routinely like somebody who clearly understands English yeah uh but I'll use a better example my dad my dad is uh understands English can like watches all of his movies with subtitles in English and you know can but when he speaks it he speaks it with such a heavy accent that and sometimes he'll like mix his words and so like if, if my dad was ever getting to pose I'm sure I'd, I'd just tell him just you do it do the deposition in Spanish because he would probably not convey himself how he would want to in English. Well, I think he understands English perfectly, though. Right. Uh, but that, but the, it's that it's that I want to make sure that I'm saying the right thing because this is a legal proceeding. And I don't want to say the wrong, get caught saying the wrong thing. And in, in public, if it's just a couple of people sitting around and you say the wrong thing, you can clear it up, and it's not right. a big deal. In a deposition, you, it's a big deal if you if you misstate something. Oh, exactly. And I think especially the difficult thing with that is. Um, you have to, well, as you all know, like when you when you have an interpreter who's, who's doing it, like they, you ask the question in English, the interpreter has to interpret it from English to Spanish, and then 
witness has to like listen it from Spanish to English. And it's so the witness knows what the question is and wants to answer it already. And he's yeah. like ready to jump on it. But he's like, oh, no, I have to wait. <laughs> it's a te- I mean, it's a tedious process. Even if you're just watching it on TV for jurors, I think the demand on jurors is pretty high to have to listen to it. And it, it doubles the length of the, of the process now. So if you have to use an interpreter in trial, I guess, how is that person selected? I've seen it because I've seen some things where the interpreter, like the interpreter was a terrible communicator <laughs> to the jury. And then you're like, okay, so we got this witness that's enthusiastic and passionate with their answer and they give it in Spanish and the interpreter gets it and then gives it in a very blah, <laughs> blah way to the jury. And you're like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know. So if you, if, if there are uh, interpreters needed, is, is that something that the court selects or you maybe submit people you know you know are good or how does that process work? Because I'd be uncomfortable if I was an attorney. We would typically, I mean, if it's our case, uh, we know we're familiar with some people with like interpreters who will be great, who know how to convey exactly the, as best as they can, what the, what the witness is saying, like the tone and everything uh and regardless of that we would try to take that witness we would try to take that interpreter regardless of where we're having trial we have trial in odessa hey come with us you're coming to odessa we're booking your yeah. your things so, uh or or san antonio you're coming with us to san antonio you're coming with us to the rio Grande valley but um but it's the part that actually scares me at times is when the interpretation is sort of being done simultaneously. Like the interpreter is like, you know, like like whispering it into the microphone only, and we're not hearing what the oh, interpreter boy. is saying to the, to the witness or our client. And really that's just done for efficiency purposes, you know, like to like, so yeah, there's yeah. not as much delay, but we're wondering like wait did she ask the question correctly yeah. or did he ask the question correctly or not so it takes a lot of trust obviously because you're putting essentially you're putting the case kind of in the hands of the translator a little bit as far as your witness testimony right Isn't absolutely they do something differently right well for purposes of the question not being asked like did the interpreter like translate the yeah. question yeah. properly yeah. to the witness uh um I think that goes back to, you know, Bill, I think you're saying too, is you get one, you get one translator for deposition and one translator for trial. And yeah. if there's differences too, you know, you, you set yourself up for giving a different answer. Then it's like, well, wait a second, in your deposition, you said this, now you're trying to say this at trial. And it's not an issue of impeachment or them changing their testimony. It's a, it's a, it's a matter lost of translation. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect lost in translation. Another favorite analogy. movie of mine. Yeah. I knew you were going. Very, to very, very sad movie. Yeah. I do cry at the end of it. Yeah. I just want to let you know. <laughs> I'm throw that out. Do you want to transition to the jury selection topic? Yeah, I think, I think that's important. I think it's important, but I do want to talk about when we talk about jury selection in that, because I think it's important though to understand also when you talk about jurisdictional differences, right? Because El Paso versus Dallas versus San Antonio versus the Rio Grande, different dialects, different type of people, different type of expectations, different type of all of that. I think so. Like you can't say, oh, well, they're Hispanic or they're Mexican. So El Paso, they're going to be a good witness and they're going to be perceived well, but that same witness might not be perceived necessarily the same in San Antonio because you have differences in your jury pool. You know, so can you talk to that a little bit about how kind of the challenges you deal with that? Because as Bill said earlier, like, you know, 
we would some people would like to think Hispanic all Hispanics are the same, which we know is not true, obviously. Uh, I think the well, you know, I think I, I had a case in Midland four years ago, and I'm taking a jury. And they were, I think the, the plaintiffs were of Puerto Rican descent, and they were going to use it as Puerto Rican, uh, well, they were going to use an interpreter because they felt more comfortable. Uh, one of the things that's, uh, well, first and foremost, you have to see what the jurors, the prospective jurors, what their comfort level is, knowing that somebody who lives in their community doesn't fully understand or doesn't fully speak you know, English, especially if they've lived there for a long time. And then so second, how they're going to handle this interpretation. Like if they're saying, well, and some, you're, you quickly realize that, that some jurors, for the most part, jurors are, don't are, have a, aren't going to be bothered by it that much. But I think if it's going to be different dialects, they're going to, then they understand it. They're, they're going to hear it. They, they know exactly what the response is. And uh, our experience is like when we have like Spanish speaking witnesses talking, testifying on the stand, 60% of the jurors know what's going on and they, they don't need to wait for the interpretation. They're like, all right, we got it. We're, we're, we're fine. We're good. And then like, they'll even pick it up sometime. Right. Yeah, three, two years, uh, three years ago, when I was trying a case, I think the, the interpreter like misinterpreted something. Like I think even the jury, like I was about to like raise my hand, like the jury, that's not what he said. I like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've seen that, right? You talk about yeah. that one time that we worked on that case where where one of the jurors in our in our focus group was like, they said that's what he's. That's not what he's. That wasn't the question. Yeah, that wasn't the question <laughs> that was asked. But it goes back to I think the difference probably in dialect, right? Is right how jurors perceive it and how the jurors perceive that response is if they have a different dialect the way they see that response might be different right oh for sure exactly yeah. how have you what's your experience been because i think witness testimony or being a defendant um is an emotional process for anybody uh it's scary litigation scary do you, do you find that so immigrants that are spanish speaking do do they have um, more of a distrust or fear of the American court system relative to relative to others? We have seen this with oh, many yeah. different cultures sure. that, that they're, they're immigrant. I mean, they're American citizens, but they're not from here. And when they get involved in litigation, their anxiety and fear skyrockets relative to your just normal American-born citizen. Have you seen that? And if so, how do you deal with some of the largely probably irrational for something well one of the first things i do like i typically see when you know we represent some like some of our truck drivers who we represent a trucking company and they hire a truck driver who's either from mexico or from like the, the border region and they speak solely spanish they're like they've never been sued and exactly they have that fear like oh my god uh, am i gonna get am i gonna go to jail or yeah, am i lose my house or am i gonna lose my house and, I mean, I always like sort of say, I always calm them down. But first of all, like, the company's got your back. And even in Spanish, it's like, we got like insurance. Like, don't worry, man. Like, you're, you're, you're good, man. You're not good. You're things like that. And like gain their trust. And once they realize that like you're helping them out, no matter how adamant they are, like once they gain, once you gain their trust, like they, they'll listen to you and they'll be more receptive to you. And I'm like, okay, all right. Like even if they're adamant, like even if it's like right. we know it's clear liability, but they think they, they're not at fault. And when it's time to like 
have that come to Jesus moment, you know, they're, they're receptive to it. They explain, it's like, look, this is what we have to do. This is why it matters. And then like, okay. And they're trusting. Once they realize you gained their trust and you have that, they come around. I think it's, it's, it takes a while that first, you know, meeting. But once they get to it and they trust you, they trust you. So you can't just uh, have a 30 minute meeting right before the session. Uh, no, Lord, no. <laughs> Here's Lord. how it goes. <laughs> so, it, so, in jury, so, I'm gonna, so in jury selection, particularly in a region like this, where you probably have fluent Spanish speakers, you have English speakers, you have everything in between. I imagine people on jury, so you're doing Bordeaux, right? How do you gauge someone's true ability to comprehend and speak English because I would imagine some jurors do the Sammy Sosa like no no English right <laughs> you remember the Sammy yeah, Sosa yeah. like all of a sudden he forgot everything because right? they don't want to be here but then you may get a juror they essentially you know the judge says you know can you understand and speak English and they go yep <laughs> like and maybe they don't how do you how do you gauge somebody's ability? Because imagine if you're putting on particularly a complex case, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of stuff. It's 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 hard for anybody to understand, much less somebody that maybe is only halfway there on actual English. How how do you how do you um, I guess assess the various jurors on their ability to really because it's two it's two factors. Sure. It's the comprehension and the speaking, and like you're saying earlier some people i remember i was taking italian i took italian in, in college which I, I i got through somehow which is similar to spanish i could i could hear it i i could i could comprehend it yeah and i could read it and i could write it i just couldn't say it, right <laughs> so like how do, how do you uh assess potential jurors in that regard because you can imagine it they go to deliberations if they haven't been able to understand yeah. half your case that's not a good thing well and well you sort of said it, you, you brought up the sammy so-so like yeah every every single you know jury i mean at least here in el paso you get like three people first you get like one person who says i don't speak it's like no hablo inglés, yeah. no hablo inglés. <laughs> and then like you then you hear like basically you got like the followers i'm like oh that's yeah. my ticket they all know here. how to get out of jury duty uh, right? yeah and some judges are better at that than others and but then like you you start i mean i would hope at least the best thing that we always do because we're always creative like the silent assassin we literally go oh, through every yeah. single one and we're talking to them even if it's something basic it's just gonna quiet be like, ones that get you yeah it's a, a 30 minute con conversation or 30 second conversation with with the, you know, the prospective juror you get a sense and i'm like and if they say they didn't understand what you say and you're like okay well you so i'm like judge can we yeah. bring can we bring like juror number 28 to the so we can talk with them because i don't think they understand it that's really the way to do it like you really have to act well we're a big proponent of doing individual board dying like trying to go yeah it's just out that. of curiosity because we we've done several cases in el paso but not, i wouldn't say a lot of work yeah it, it, is someone that struggles with the language barrier, is that pretty much an automatic cause challenge from the bench? Or some jurors are like, no, this is a member of our community. And if he's halfway or she's halfway on English, then that's it. And you have to maybe spend a peremptory strike. How, to, how, to, how does the bench see it? Well, 
the I mean the, the you know the standard is can you read and write English like that's and understand it like that's those are like the three things and they really really stress that it well before they even send you to us they're supposed to be screening you uh, they, they're supposed to be screening you free you know free screen you and and anybody who like falls through the cracks which it does I mean I'm not saying that doesn't happen um, we really do try to like. We, we we ask them. We talk to them in English. Like clearly, we uh we have to talk to them in English because we can't like. They're, first of all, the record's not going to be in Spanish. Like it has to be. We have to talk to them in English and really see assess if they understand or not. I'll use my dad again as an example. He was picked as a juror like three times, and he like I said, he struggles communicating it, but he clearly understands it. And he was like, "All right, yeah, what's going on?" So he 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 did it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess that depends kind of where you're at and your strikes, because yeah. you may get somebody like that. You're like, "Yeah, this per it's impossible for this person to be the four person. Yeah. They can't. They cannot hurt my case. Why am I gonna strike them? Yeah. Right? I mean, it. You know." It's I don't know it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, like I mean there might be a, a another a, a, another reason why you want to strike them, but like maybe not necessarily because of, the, of that, because um, that may ultimately depending on the circumstances and what their answers are, you may want that person on there. Like hey, like this is this guy's gonna relate to our guy, or or, or you know what that guy's gonna relate to to the plaintiff so much i think they're like from the same neighborhood you know no never mind like no <laughs> well i think that leads to a question when you talk about relating to i mean obviously you know I, I live outside of houston which is a lot different than el paso i mean have you noticed i think that's another concern maybe not necessarily in el paso but when you go to other places when we talk about what are you doing voir dire to try to identify jurors who right wrong or indifferent are going to be upset when they have a a witness up there or someone or a defendant up there who doesn't speak English, you know, and then you have a lot of these preconceived biases and all these types of things about people who don't speak English, you know, and, and then essentially they're going to take it out on the witness or take it out on the defendant. I mean, how do you screen for that in Guadir? Do you ask questions we, about that? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, I was a defense on that case. So the, I obviously was wanted the people who were going to hold it against it on the, yeah. on the panel. Yeah. But if, if it's, if I was in the other way, I would say my looks and, he doesn't, my client does not speak English, he speaks Spanish speaking, and I'm sorry, who's going to hold that against them? And then like, you go that and then like, literally, I mean, you're going to get like three or four, but then you really have to go like, again, juror number two, I'm sorry, I have to ask this, are you going to hold it against because he doesn't speak English? Yeah. And then, like, you really got to see their eyes because it's, again, you don't want that side. They're not going to say, yeah, I'm going to hold it well, against them. Right. Right. You, it goes, you know, it's a, yeah. It goes back to a social desirability yeah. bias, right? Like we've talked about before on the podcast or written yeah. about is, you know, people know that, gee, I better not say out loud that I'm, I'm going to hold it against somebody who can't speak English. But that's why you got to be paying attention to the nonverbal behaviors and all the other things to say that they might be saying, yeah, I won't hold it against them. But, you know, the truth of the matter is yeah, they're going to hold, it, gonna hold it against them. And it's yeah. like... And especially like if they've been in the country, like they've been in the country for a long time, they're gonna, they're definitely gonna hold it against. I'm like, well, yeah. How did you not learn English? I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and you really gotta like really screen that. And sometimes we have to ask the uncomfortable questions and like ask it in a way that makes us us sound insensitive, but we really need to weed out who's gonna hold it against it. No. This gets to some um, kind of more real fun questions here. Um, tell us about tell us about your background. Where where are you from, and 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 how in the world did you decide 
that you want to be a trial attorney of all things? Um, well, I was born and raised here in El Paso. And really, uh, I wanted to, once I realized when I was like 11 years old that I was not going to be a professional athlete, I figured, you know, I got to find something else to do. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a terrible day in yeah. all yeah, yeah. most most men's lives. <laughs> women too. Yeah. Uh, uh, you get that like, okay, um, this ain't going to work out. It's not working out. <laughs> uh, what were, if you were going to be a professional athlete, what were you going to be though? This is really... Well, I guess I would have, I mean, I was fairly decent at basketball. Okay. I mean, I was a pretty good shooter, but it's sort of, El Paso, I was, I'm tall for El Paso, but I'm like average everywhere yeah. else. Let's <laughs> say so the El Paso record league. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, and I was really into like, you know, the people's court back then. And that was like, well, I kind of want, I think we can argue better than some of these. And so like, I've always felt like I've always wanted to be in the courtroom. I always wanted to litigate, maybe not like, you know, that fiery brand, like, you know, Tom Cruise kind of thing, but like, you know, I think they can relate and do my style in a way. So that's kind of, and that's so, what I've been So where did you go to undergrad? So I went to undergrad here at Texas El Paso, uh, UTEP. What did you study? uh political science so okay so you really want to be in the law yeah well the only reason i chose political science is because i was first into engineering and like then like they gave me like homework for like the first day of orientation and i'm like well screw this i just uh, to go to law school i'm not gonna like i'm just trying to like get this i'm trying to get a law school i'm not trying to and so i studied and i, and I loved it i actually like political science but then I went to law school uh University of Michigan. Go blue. I know. Okay, now okay, yeah, yeah, no, 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 this, this is took, gone sideways. This took 25 minutes to get okay. Yeah. So why in the world would you pick such a substandard school? <laughs> yeah, especially a substandard law school. Oh, yeah, right. Of all with places. a crooked athletic department. But go ahead. It's it's it's, it's our podcast. <laughs> go ahead, speak freely. Yeah. Um growing up, I was a huge fan of uh, the bad five. Um, oh, I love oh this, this is this is um, great yeah so i yeah. really love the sad five and yeah. so like and, and i you know, was watching michigan football i mean that's that was always kind of shim fan uh yeah shim beckler uh lloyd carr and then so i was watching all them and so next thing you know it it's like I, that was sort of my dream school i couldn't afford it for undergrad and i was fortunate enough to get accepted for law school i, no, I think no, that's excellent no for the podcast so we don't get hate mail University of Michigan is an exceptional law school. Yes, we're, we're just kidding. We're just kidding about that. Sports fans, I'm not so yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so I would like, because um, you know I'm a Tar Heel. Yeah. So yeah. in 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 1993, I just how yeah. old were you when when Chris? So when Chris Weber calls the timeout, did I mean like jump out a window, throw a, throw a chair? Uh, I mean, I, was, I threw a chair in celebration. I was eight years old and I was okay. trying to like appreciate what was happening, but I was, I was 19. I was pretty <laughs> devastated because I knew it was, I'm like, that's over. <laughs> I mean, it's over. And first of all, he traveled and they didn't call. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's seen this. So what happens is it, it's, this is hilarious. So I am watching this game in my living room in, in Florida and Chris Webb is he didn't just travel. He, he traveled. And I mean, dragged the foot like four feet. Dean Smith, the legendary who I named my son after, but right, yeah. the legend Dean Smith, like jumped up 34 inches. <laughs> off of I jumped up as high as I can, almost hit my head on my ceiling and came down on my, and I, the first thing I said was, 
we're going to lose this game because the refs didn't call the most obvious travel in the history of basketball and the clock's ticking down and then he he another did you watch the 30 for 30 yeah. which by the way which was uh which he did not participate yeah i felt bad for him on that actually um, and, and jimmy was it jimmy uh black is jimmy it? king jimmy king jimmy, jimmy king was very straightforward with that but you see him coming down and there's somebody on the somebody bench doing this calling time the time out, out. So I felt I felt terrible for whoever. Funny enough, uh, for all the hate that he got, I find his when he's calling games and his he's on the uh, NBA shows. I think he's fantastic. Oh, for sure, he's a he's he's brilliant. I, I like I love the way uh, he he carries himself and he's really really smart. But uh, uh, yeah, Michigan uh, they still don't have those banners up. They I guess they're in the yeah. basement. They're in the library and the the board library. Yeah, it's it's uh I I think they've got to get over this at some point, right? They have to. Um, well, I think they were forced to vacate them, right? I think that was a compromise because of the of the scandal they had. Okay, so so okay, so here here's what we're gonna do right now. So based on what, okay, so right now today, yeah. If the Fab Five was playing today, pretty much everything they they would do today would. That they did then would be 100 accepted exactly. and legal. They'd be sure. nil in this thing. Yeah, yeah. Imagine the Fab Five with nil money. They'd stay all four years because I mean, can you imagine that? And so the same thing happened. We brought this up. The uh, you're too young for this, uh, but uh, uh, SMU football oh, got yeah, the death penalty. Yeah, yeah. You know, Eric Dickerson was driving a different Ferrari every day, <laughs> and they got the death penalty. And everything they did, you know, then if you did now, you're pretty much in the clear. Well, right, and I think, well, I think NCAA realized what happened to SMU because of the death penalty, and it's like because I think they were thinking of doing that for Penn State, and they're like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. Guys. We, we realize what happens if we do. So, all right. Let's let's end on. Uh, tell us about. Um, tell us about the firm. Um, the types of cases you handle. Because the types of cases uh, the firm handles, and um, maybe end with how much of a pain in the ass it is to work with Carlos Rincon, um, the leader of this group. Uh, so. You know, Rincon Law Group, we, we do uh, a lot of, uh, well, 99% of it is civil litigation defense, representing trucking companies that get involved in, in accidents that get sued. Um, uh, we do, obviously, you know, the West Texas region all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley and catastrophic stuff in New Mexico. And kind of look, our cases are Right. Wrongful death, catastrophic injuries, uh, TBIs, all the serious stuff. And it's never boring. We're, yeah. uh, we're, we're thankfully there. And Carlos, he's, he's a great guy to work with. Sometimes he'll... He's an exceptional human being. He is. He is. Uh, he's really fun to work with. He's, he's hilarious. We, we do work hard, but, you know, it's, we have fun, though. And it's it, it's never boring. And I, and I love Carlos. You know, I've been there now for, like, nine years. So, yeah. He's a great friend. Uh, he refuses to come on the podcast. I don't know what <laughs> he's been invited 17 times and he just, well, he's, oh, he's just like giving me grumpy old man excuses. I fear so, for the podcast though. If, if it was a podcast of you and, and Carlos, it'd be just like two grumpy old men. Just <laughs> He's a lot older than me. That's good. That's right. but we're both equally as grumpy though. I yeah. think you'd never get a word in. No, I wouldn't. I mean, he's got, just... he's a very knowledgeable attorney. And uh, he's a really uh, good guy. And I, I met him on the speaking tour 
we spoke at i'm gonna tell the story carlos because he's gonna force him to listen to us we're on so we're supposed to speak together uh at dri and he said listen and we're together and he's like listen i got i've got 15 slides five or nine no a, a minute a slide i need 50 is for an hour present because yeah. i just need 15 i'm not gonna go over 15 minutes okay He's at like 25 minutes and he's on slide four. And I had, I mean, and there's, it's a place that's been like 500 people in downtown Chicago at DRI. And I had to be like, I had to interrupt him. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, dude, he's like, oh man, am I going over? I'm like, dude, you're on slide four. I, and he goes, oh, I was going to wrap it up uh, here, Dr. Kanaski. So he still has the slides up. So I had to go close out his presentation, open up mine, and he's just going to put his hands up in the air. But, uh, you know, I guess that's, that's the way it goes. But he's he's a fantastic attorney. So, Oscar, um, though, speaking of fantastic attorneys, how do if anybody needs help, anybody wants you to reach out? Yes. How do they get a hold of you? What email? What do they got to do to get a hold of you? You'll... A lot of trucking clients listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. They can email us at, or email me, uh, Olara, O-L-A-R-A, at Rincon Law Group, R-I-N-C-O-N lawgroup.com and call our office number 915-532-6800 are you on linkedin i don't have linkedin no they can call myself they can call myself because we're 24 hours so yeah yeah 915-929-9232 i'm gonna text you at three o'clock in the morning yeah he's 24 hours i will be awake (laughs) (laughs) i I shall respond all right well thank you so much for coming on the show this is absolutely fantastic and I uh, would love to have you on again. I think we're going to, I think, I think for the, the second half of this year, we're going to try to, I think I'd like to have multiple attorneys on and get a one, a one or two topics and get different perspectives, maybe people in different parts of the country, because these issues are very different depending on where, like you said, venue, 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 Yeah, everything's different. Like even this Hispanic issue, I deal with it in Florida. And you again, you have a combination of, you know, Puerto Rican, you know, Haitian, uh, you know, Cuban, Cuban, huge Cuban, and then we, the we have Mexicans too, and yet they're very, very different people. I mean, so yeah. if you don't understand that, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very challenging. So interesting stuff. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Definitely enlightening. Definitely learned something. So I appreciate you coming on, Oscar. Uh, this has been another edition of Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Sit.